Well, that's a sick guitar, man. I love oh, it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but check them out. I, I like it. So it, it's pretty cool, especially for the yeah. money. Um, two questions. Best gig, worst gig. Oh, man. All right. Let's see here. Best gig. I can't, I can't say if there was like one absolute best one, but I, I can tell you one really good moment I had that was just one of those moments where I thought I was going to cry on stage in a good way. And that was in October. What, what year was that? Uh, it was probably like you know, the posters back here behind me. I can't, no, you can't see it on the screen, but it was when I was on tour with Noah Preminger and he was doing the tour with my band and, for the Xavier concert series here in Cincinnati, we actually got to have Gary Versace on piano with us as a special guest. And Gary was somebody, I mean, like Noah that I'd been listening to since college. Like I found Noah's music through discovering Ben Monder and listening to his entire discography. And, and then playing with Noah was amazing, but then Gary I'd been listening to forever too, just on different recordings, like with Maria Schneider and all these small group recordings. And then when I got to have him play by music, I was like kind of nervous. I was like, man, this is crazy. Um, no, not, no, not really any rehearsal. Just brought the charts and they're not really easy tunes by any means. So, you know, He's incredible, but I didn't, I didn't know that I, that I would expect, I didn't expect like these profound things to happen to my music with him sitting at the piano. And he just, there was a few moments on that concert in particular, I felt like I played horribly because I was just so awestruck by what he was doing with my music. It was just so beautiful. Like there was just some things happening. And I remember Matt playing bass. Like there was this moment in one of my tunes where Gary just, he took off in another direction and it just like this whole new song emerged out of this song. And we all just kind of like, we'd like, we were like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And let's just go with it. And then like, I remember Matt, I could feel him like I, in the back of my head, I was like, he's going to cry. And I was like, now, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> and then like after the, after the show, we were like, yeah, we almost totally broke down to start crying right there. Cause it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's just like, this symphony came out of Gary in the middle of all this madness. And awesome. it was just a really beautiful moment. Um, there was the worst gig. This is a pretty funny story because technically the gig never happened. I, I got two worst gigs and maybe one of them I shouldn't say at all, but like <laughs> the worst gig was when I first moved to Cincinnati, I got an email from a guy that was like, Hey, you're new to town, blah, blah, blah. I got it. I run a big band and he's like a, a Sinatra impersonator or something. And he's like, uh, he's like, I got a gig in Ber Berea, Kentucky, which is like two hours south of here. And he's like, it's blah, blah date. Uh, can you do it? He's like, I, it pays really well. That's all he said is it pays really well. And of course, me being young and hungry, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then as it got closer to the gig, it got like the demands were too high. Like he had, he kept wanting me to like, like FaceTime him and play through these charts for him to make sure I could play him. But just like basic big band charts 
which I was just like, I was just straight up like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like, it's just a waste of time. And then finally, like a week before the gig, like he sends the details and he's like, the gig, we're going to arrive at 9am and set up. And, uh, cause it's for some event sound check at noon, wear a tux. We're going to play from six to 10 PM. And it's like the whole day. And the pay is like $60. <laughs> and I was just like, wait a second. He said it pays amazing. It's like, you know, I'll play for nothing if it's like with my friends and playing good music and chill and like a good time and, and like something I'm invested in. But it's like, like I know how much those kind of gigs bring in like for the band leader. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was pretty clear this dude was ripping everybody off. And I was like, I can't in good conscience sub this gig out to any of my friends who also play guitar because that would be an insult to them. So I just didn't go. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I was just like, this dude's doing everybody dirty. And like, it came to find out. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he's like considered like a, a not good guy to work with here in town. (laughs) But, uh, I made the right call apparently when I, when I relayed that story to other, other musicians, when I got to know more people in town, but, that was a funny one. Um, but, uh, another gig was actually the same tour with Noah Preminger. And we had a gig at an unnamed club in Northeast Ohio. Uh, but basically we got tricked into playing a dinner gig for the door. And, uh, just did, like basically the long story short, Matt almost got in a fist fight with the, the bookie guy. Because basically we played the same kind of gig we could play here in town for like a dinner crowd and each get 125 bucks. But the guy kind of duped us into being like, Oh, well our main room is not open. So you guys can play on the patio. Uh, even though that's not like, not what we agreed to on the contract or whatever. And he's like, Oh, it's being renovated. So you can go play on the patio for the dinner crowd and we'll take cover there. Basically, he didn't collect cover from everybody. He allowed people to not pay cover if they didn't want to. And we ended up getting like 20 bucks or something, which is this is like an insulting amount of money. And uh, (laughs) and, yeah, Matt almost just got in a fight with the guy. And I was just like, I was like, let's just cut our losses and get out of here. Like, this is embarrassing. But, you know, I've I've played that place before with other people and it's been fine. But it just kind of felt, it made me feel bad because you know, it's my thing. And I know, actually, I know I'm not famous or anything. So it's too often. I think guys in that position of, I mean, it's not really a position of power because I know it's a stressful position to be in, to be like booking bands, but it's just, uh, it's just, it's a hard place to be in. Like, like I, I didn't have a name to command respect from the guy. Yeah, right. Like I know, I know like how he was feeling too. So like, but just being pushed around like that just wasn't fun. I was just like, I was like, ah, I don't really want to go back there anymore. <laughs> that reminds me, we, I played a gig in uh, in Chicago. Where was that? Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the place. And we had like booked it a couple, you know, months in advance or whatever, and we were gonna get so much money. But the guy that booked us actually was like out of the country. So when yeah. we got there, which we didn't, I, I guess Paul knew. I was playing with Paul Stranahan's trio mm-hmm. um, thing. And, uh, or no, it was a quartet. So we 
we all went out there. We played in like Toledo and Chicago and this this like little mini tour. We we played there and like they didn't advertise it. Like they didn't like there was no help like at all, you know. Of course we didn't command a lot of attention in Chicago. And when we got done with the gig, the guy that we booked with wasn't there. He was out of the country or something. So the the people were there were like, "Okay, well you owe us." Oh, yeah, no. much money. It was like the Blues Brothers thing or whatever. It's like, well, you owe yeah. us this much for this. So um, luckily, we I don't know how we talked ourselves out of, like, basically we got paid nothing. Yeah. It was just, and it was, it, I think it was a couple hundred bucks or something we were going to get. It wasn't, like, crazy. but Right. Yeah, yeah that's You know, true. we drove all the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's rough, man. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a way of... Yeah, that that happens all too often. Yeah, I feel definitely. it's a. Uh, I remember. I think the only time I've ever really played in Chicago, I played in, in a basement, somebody's basement. Maybe, yeah. I mean, like it was like past the hat kind of situation. Total, like uh, probably a legal illegal show scenario. Mm-hmm. But it was actually it was just trying to network, and none of the clubs. It's kind of a hard, it's hard. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this too, existing in like this creative guitar world where your original music isn't exactly straight ahead jazz, but it's not like rock enough to be in a rock club, but it's not jazz enough to be in the jazz club. And it makes it really challenging to, to book really. So I I found a lot of times I'll just end up booking like a house show or something, you know, which sometimes honestly is like more fun than playing at a club. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's, I think I've heard like Holdsworth talk about that too, where there's some interview and they're like, well, why don't you just write a pop tune or whatever? But he, his take was like, well, I think people might actually like it if they put my song on the radio. Like, there would there'd probably be a crowd for it if you actually played it, but no one will play yeah. it. And I, I kind of feel the same, like the kind of music we typically make. It's like when people were there, they seemed to enjoy it. It makes me think. That if you get yeah. people there, they would enjoy it. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah, man, it's just... That's exactly, like, I just had a conversation with the guy. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Brandon, I don't mean to interrupt. You were going to say... You're good, you're good. I, 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 I was, I was just going to agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to kind of piggyback on the agreement, I literally had this conversation with a guy that I'm working on with another tune. Uh, and we were arguing, because I was, like, pushing the push it a little bit more avant-garde and out there. I'm like, you know, and he's like, well, what about marketability and so on? And I'm like, well, look at Queen. I mean, it just, that was the first, I'm like, Bohemian Rhapsody was not a typical pop song at the time, not even close. And Freddie Mercury was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. How about no, when we release this song? And it ends up being like this huge cultural phenomenon. And I'm not saying I have a cultural phenomenon sitting in my back pocket, but I think that we, dumb people down to what they would actually like if they would get exposed to it like from the marketing perspective and that that was my chief thing i'm like listen i i understand your point but my point is i don't think people are that stupid i really don't you know i think they just haven't heard it before and once you get it out there it's like oh that's kind of cool i think all of us experience that as players and as uh, listeners that it's like we got experience. We we hear this off track, you know. What one of our friends has or whatever, like way back when we were starting, we're like, oh, that's actually really cool. And it's it's somebody you've never heard of, and you just start diving down that rabbit hole and going and di- discovering more things that you never would have had had you sat there and just gotten your top ten continual uh, replays. 
Absolutely. And I, I think that manifests itself too in the, the live, the live playing uh, scenario. Like I find that another kind of perspective on that is I find often like when playing in bigger cities, like that are known for having music, like an audience can sometimes take music for granted. Like, sure. Oh, mu music's here all the time. This is music. Yeah, it's cool. And then like, maybe you don't get a lot of visceral feedback from the crowd. But anytime I've played a small town, that's like where the real shit, like it feels like people are digging it hard. Like I used to play these gigs down in Frankfort, Kentucky. Me and Matt would go down and, and the mayor of Frankfort's a great drummer. And he would just have me and Matt come down and sometimes there'd be trumpet player Marlon McKay. And we just play like some Herbie tunes and shit. Super small town, like little bar. There's people, like people with like, you know, half a mouth of teeth or whatever, just like, hell yeah, man, that's sick. And it's like getting stoked. Yeah. And it's just, you never know. Like, and I think that at the end of the day, all humans crave like this kind of raw kind of thing that's just based on emotion. And, and it can be as weird as you want it to be. But I think, yeah, like the, it's the marketability factor of just like, oh, here's this nice little package of things. And that's what we're going to say works yeah. for everybody. But I think most people crave like that human element, um, whether they know it or not. Right. I remember, so, I remember going, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say, I went to a jam session once and I was playing some gigs in Tennessee several years ago. And this dude walks in, uh, like, like the, me being a city boy. Now I might've thought, Oh man, this guy's like a roughneck. He might, he might, you know, get some fight started or something. They had a trumpet case on, but totally like not, like dressed like in like the the jazz guy walking in and he he steps up and it's like oh let's play like red clay or something <laughs> and this dude's like probably 50 years old like i would have expected him to have like a confederate flag tattoo or something <laughs> but then the dude just straight up sounds like freddie hubbard i was like this dude is sick i was like this guy is amazing and it really taught me in the moment i was just like man like because sometimes musicians can be guilty of that kind of like, uh, you know, putting like that prejudging the aesthetic. And I was just like, well, this is this is a pretty revealing moment. And in that moment, I was like, there's a lot to be gleaned from just going to these small towns and playing for people. That's cool. It's like really beneficial. Yeah. Because you meet incredible musicians, but also make some lifelong connections, which are really valuable. Sure. Yep. Uh, I, yeah. I was just going to say real quick the I heard a. Uh, Brian Baker was, you know, Brian Baker was, yeah, he was touring with Tills Brenner or whatever that guy is, like a pop artist in Europe. Mm -hmm. And Tills would like give him uh, a little bit of time at the end of like the set or something to just do his Brian Baker like weird atonal thing, to, you know, to like thirty thousand people. And he's and he like there was no limits. Like he didn't say like try to do this in this style or that. And Brian just did his thing and like people loved it. Yeah, and they talk about like out there, but they but they got the energy. Like that dude plays with fire. Yeah, so, like, the regular pop crowd was totally into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's true. Like I think that's how people hear music. They hear the energy of it more than the notes, even. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree.
So we did the best gig, worst gig thing, and then started our little philosophical take on what people will actually listen to if exposed to it. And that's, uh, I think that's absolutely one of my biggest pet peeves is the limiting of what people are exposed to because, uh, well, just to put it in perspective, because of what I think they can handle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's one of the, whenever I do a cl classical concert now, I always, get talking about the pieces, even the out there stuff, and just play it. You know, I give them a little bit of the background to it, especially if it's something where it's more of a, a soundscape thing uh, or a sound picture than an actual melodic thing, just to kind of prepare. But then I just do it. And it mm -hmm. definitely gives me the response that I'll get. Like, the, and just to pull off of the whole musician aesthetic thing, like the people that I don't think would be into that because they seem to be like, wound a particular way at least from appearances are the ones that tend to appreciate it the most and the other people who i thought would be really into it were like yeah no you know so yeah. and, and that's just the way that it goes so it, it's really it, it's humbling in a, in a good way but it's also exciting because there's that plausibility that hey somebody out there is definitely going to like this even though it's out there yeah 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 absolutely and it, there's a lot of value in recognizing that but also and i remember like I'm, I'm super like emotionally invested in the music I make. Like they're like my little music children. And I'm like, when it goes out of the world, if somebody's like, Oh, that sucks. I'm always like, Oh, who hurt you? <laughs> you know, <Right>. like, <laughs> but like, I remember at one point somebody said, well, if somebody hates it, like really hates it, that means other people really love it. Mm -hmm. And like, just knowing that is like such a good affirmation to remind ourselves of. And, and uh, yeah, to me, that's been like a really good, mantra to try to center that kind of focus on like when sure. as it as it relates to the to the general public you know <laughs> yeah hey, what, what but it, yeah when people talk about like what is art you know it's kind of like if everyone likes something is it art you know like it right. probably, probably yeah. can't be art i don't know why but i, I don't well everybody loves macaroni and cheese and you can definitely make art out of okay. macaroni and cheese <laughs> macaroni <laughs> <laughs> and cheese is like my go-to thing it's like what oh, yeah. i, I comfort food i remember it, it's a, just because all right I'm, it's macaroni and cheese <laughs> i remember it was like my graduate year and i'm getting ready for my master's recital and like my teacher at the time just ripped into me in a lesson and i deserved it because it was just like falling apart not the greatest thing and I, you know, Julie, my wife was like, "So how did that go?" And I was like, "That was that was probably one of my worst lessons that I've had." But I kind of knew it was coming because of the way that I felt going into it. But whatever. And I show up at home, and she's got a nice big thing of Stouffer's mac and cheese for me, ready to go, so I could just like go and cry in the corner and eat it. <laughs> get myself back together. So that was great. But all right, that's my mac and cheese story. So yeah, and, man, it's uh, it, it's. It, it, it's got potent healing powers, that's for sure. <laughs> they should put that on a label. Potent healing powers. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's see. We've discussed the origins of your playing to an extent. You know, your, your origin story before you became superhero guitarist. Right now. <laughs> uh, then the scholastic aspect, the gigging aspect, the, the good and the bad, all the albums releasing, and we got into a little bit of that. So... What would you, I guess, the, the, my final question would be like, what would you say to somebody that is just trying to get into 
making their own music and getting it out there. What, what would be your advice to like that? I guess you could call it that stage of a career. Yeah, I think that one of the big biggest things you can do is just to completely be, and I, I guess it's kind of a hard thing to tell somebody to do is like be confident, but like, I think just being deliberate and like just trying as much as you can is uh, and putting out as much as you can is really helpful because for me, I've been putting out music in some form since I was a teenager. Like in the early days of the internet, there were like sound click and like these little pages like MySpace when you could upload your songs to it. And when, as soon as I found that stuff out and like, I was like recording all these little songs and I would be putting them out there and people would like it or people wouldn't and people would comment and just that getting that feedback loop going was actually really positive. And I felt like if I didn't start doing that, then I might not have had a good like sense of feeling of when it would be right to release something. And like we're saying earlier, like, yeah, I've got this record that I'm still sitting on because of particular things I want to change about it. But everything else that's around that, like I try to just put out as much as I humanly can because I'm just writing so much music and um, I want to document as much of it as possible. I don't really care as much about how many people buy it because at the end of the day, even though I make my living with music, like the music that I sell accounts for like a couple Big Macs a year or something, you know, it's like. I'd, I'd, I'd just as soon give it to my friends for free and, and hand them out like business cards because for me the the art and making a record is making the document and it kind of surviving after I'm, you know, in a wood box six feet underneath the ground, you know, sure. I kind of just want to document all this stuff. And, um, the, uh, so I'm just trying to do that as much as I possibly can. Like, and I recommend anybody who's got the itch to put out their own music, to try to do the same because everything's not going to be a hit. You never know what is going to be a hit either. Like you can totally be surprised by, you know, my kind of experience has been, you never know what the result's going to be. Like I could put out a song like today and maybe nobody hears it, but then tomorrow maybe I put out a different song and then the right person hears it and shares it around the world. And, mm -hmm. um, to me, it's just the fact that the internet is so powerful and you got things like Bandcamp on our side where we can put music out so easily. Um, why not take advantage of that? And a couple of weeks ago, like this was a funny one for me, like the idea of just putting out as much as I can. Uh, one of my students canceled like midday and I hadn't like really done a, a, um, a video in a while like a just a casual guitar video and uh so i was just practicing like some tunes and i, I was playing infinite by wayne shorter and i just was like hey you know this, this is a pretty cool take i was, I was using this guitar my buddy built and i was kind of going for like a, a jeff beck thing with the wayne bar and on a ballad i think that sounds really nice and like vocal and I just recorded it casually. Like I didn't run the nice sound or anything. I just, it was just really raw, you know? Uh, and I put it on my wall and then I go to teach and then I come back like an hour later and Wayne Shorter had commented on it 
and shared it. And it had like 200,000 views or something. <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like, holy cow, this is incredible. And then like a bunch of my buddies were texting me like, holy crap, Wayne Shorter saw your thing. And to me, I was like, you know, I was blown away. I was like flabbergasted that like one of my heroes saw my shit. And, and for a minute, I was just like really vulnerable because I was like, man, that wasn't like really amazing playing or I wasn't doing like the guitar thing that you think you have to do on the internet and play all your impressive, ah, you know, like, <laughs> I'm going to fall off of the guitar neck because I'm going too fast. <laughs> you know, I was just playing honest stuff. Like I wasn't trying for anything. I was just playing the songs. I love it. And one of my friends was like, man, that's probably what he loved about it. Like it was just like an honest, raw, in, in the moment thing. I didn't overthink it. I didn't, I wasn't trying to be like, this is how I use uh, double diminished uh, satanic uh, minor scales over top of, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to imply anything. I just was just playing the song, you know, and I I don't know if that magic moment will ever happen again for maybe that was it for me. Maybe that was my hit was a video that Wayne Shorter (laughs) shared on Facebook, but just knowing the power of the internet can anything can happen at any point in time. That's inspiring. You know, I could put out a song tomorrow and then maybe Quincy Jones is like, Hey man, come over and hang out or like, <laughs> you never, you never know. So I, I, I try to encourage as many people as record and put out music. Cause I mean, there's just so much out there and there's a lot of stuff that's really good. That's undiscovered too. You know, it's, it's amazing how much music is out there that's really good. It's like too almost too easy to go down that rabbit hole of like all music is bad nowadays because I think we're like in a really fertile time because oh, yeah, just how easy easy it is to record and the the paths people have taken music to like there's just we're reaching in like realms of insanity with like what people are doing with music and how many virtuosos there are like just like on Instagram like. Yeah, I get a little annoyed with like the constant neo soul shit. Like, yeah, we we get it, we get it. Minor nine chords or whatever. But then, like, you watch somebody like that, uh, Jesus Molina, that piano player. Mm-hmm. You're like, holy cow, this dude's like on the level of like some of these great classical virtuoso piano players. Mm-hmm. But like, he's improvising at that degree of like <clears throat> technique and like it's just insane. And then like uh, JD Beck and Domi DeGaulle, like the young, like really young duo. I remember I, I had Domi DeGaulle for like my meme page. I had her uh, solfege. Uh, what was it? She solfege the Lingus solo. <laughs> and and then now she's like playing with like Thundercat and like she they did a video with like Ariana Grande or something for Adult Swim and it's just the power of the internet like. It, anything could happen. Sure. It's insane. Yeah. So I, that reminds me, I, some years ago, like when Instagram was kind of starting, or I don't know if it was just starting, I kind of came, like right before it switched from 15 seconds to 60 seconds, I sort of started a page right you know, months before that change. So whenever that was. And I remember thinking like, man, Instagram's like the most like narcissistic page I think thing I've like ever seen created. And uh, 
But then I was like, okay, well, let's try to figure some of this out. So I like did an experiment, like to see how to grow on there or whatever. And at first, I kind of had this really negative sort of attitude about it. I was like, mm-hmm. like, like I said, I looked at it like, oh, it's super narcissistic, blah 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 blah. And then even like, there's there's like so many guitar players on there. But at some point, you know, like I started listening to more and more people, and I'm like, just like you were saying, like, there's there's really like no lack of virtuosity like mm-hmm. on the guitar yeah. from like every age it, and it's just kind of mind-boggling stuff so, like with a different sort of attitude i was like man there's there's just like an endless amount of great players out there yeah and and how that can affect us like mentally can sometimes be taxing <laughs> right it, because yeah. it's like it's like it can be easy to get down and be like man there's so many sick players but for me, it's like what that tells me is the technique isn't what's special about any of us. Oh yeah, it's like it's our imagination and and like what we do with what we can do. Like I don't think I have anywhere near like the level of technique as some guys have. Like I I don't, I don't consider myself to have amazing chops or anything. Uh, but so I, I try not to even worry about that anymore. I think I used sure. to. And like, cause like, yeah, like sometimes you're like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta shred to keep up. And it's, and it's fun. Like it's part of being a guitar player is that kind of stepping into the Ferrari for a minute and taking it for a spin, you know? Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I gotta count my, I gotta count my, what makes me special. And, and I think that's important for all of us to do is like, what makes me an individual to stand out amongst the crowd rather than per- so I don't, I, I don't really, I use Instagram and social media as a tool to advertise my music, but I try not to get too caught up in the trend of yeah. what's, yeah, what's happening in the moment, you know? You, you kind of said it, I don't know if you, if it's totally what you meant, but ironically there, yeah, there's a lot of good players on there, but man, there's a lot of just like very copy sort of thing, right? Like I couldn't tell you yeah. the difference between most of them. I think I like I sent something to Adam the other day. It was like a from the Abbasi guitar stuff, mm-hmm. and he like they had some video with like twenty guitar players playing the Abbasi guitar, and I'm like they literally they all they were all good, but they all like every single player sounded exactly the same, and I'm like man they, yeah. like they were doing great stuff, you know. I was like all this tapping and like the whole thing was they were very impressive players, but mm-hmm. it was like almost. Not one, I don't want to say redeeming, but there was not like one unique thing about any of it. It was kind of weird in a way. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's part of the the journey. You know, I think yeah, that sure. you know, it's like for me, it's like I know for sure that I sounded way too much like Bill Frisell right. in college, and then I know I sounded way too much like Kurt Rosenwinkel. And not saying like that I was as good as those guys or yeah. anything by any means, but just like copying too much but then in a way like i had to go through that to like crack out of the little egg and hatch into a right. a beautiful butterfly you know <laughs> <laughs> you know the uh and i might not even be there yet but it's like i find that getting closer to that requires some at some point going through some sort of metamorphosis of cloning somebody or oh yeah oh, absolutely i mean and, um, yeah yeah, I think that like the culture of Instagram and YouTube 
guitar, you know, the whole guitar Olympics thing kind of fosters people to stay in their cocoon for longer than they need to, because you get the instant gratification of like, you know, I see players that are, are wonderfully skilled, but yeah, it's like hard to tell them apart because they don't have like a, a voice, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's almost like they're doing it for the praise hands, you know, the emoji like, Oh yeah, you're doing great, bud. Like, sounds great. But it's like, for me, it's like, I don't want that. I, I want to feed my family, you know, it's like, <laughs> and, but I want to do it with my art, you know, it's sure. so it's, it's really kind of a wacky scenario where I think the social media also being intertwined with kind of like the commercial marketability aspect of music, like so many companies are using artists like that to hawk their products, like endorsements, like just cheap stuff, like, uh, you know, like a capo or something. And they're like, Oh, this dude that plays crazy Neo soul runs endorses this capo. And it's like, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) But, and then they'll put on their bio, like, yeah, endorses capo. And it's like, that's cool. But it just becomes this like kind of circular feedback loop of just like crazy guitar lick. And then somebody saying, yeah, great job. And then we'll give you a free poster and then let's do it again. And then we'll get another guy. And that's all cool. But it's almost like, uh, it's like actors or something like they're, they're, they're playing in a commercial, you know, it's like, but I don't mean it in a negative way. I just mean it like, it's just going to take some time for some of those people to break out into their breakout role where they get to finally star in a film, you know, instead of being in the tide commercial saying, Oh, my shirt's dirty. What gets out of this stain? Oh, a minor nine chord with reverb on it. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is a meme. We we have to figure out some way and put that in the, that would be, Oh, that's that's going to piss off a lot of people. That's it great. will, but it's okay. You know, I've, I've pissed off plenty of people in my time, so it's completely yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, there's there's just so many good players. But like you said, it's like I want to hear some music come out of it. You know, I want to hear, I want to hear the records of those guys playing, and I'm sure some of them do have that. Maybe we just haven't stumbled onto them yet. But yeah. somebody I was talking to recently, and I gosh, I don't even remember who it was now. But it, it was just kind of the there's a the sort of like a lot of the heroes of guitar now, especially like the internet ones, um, or the, I say the internet, the Instagram or YouTube or whatever. It's like they don't they don't play any gigs, yeah. they don't have any albums out, no no song, not even like a not like one song, you know, yeah. or maybe they right. did some like random fusion thing or something that they played a solo on or whatever. But it was like not their thing. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we can hear them, and some of them are good, is is their like crappy YouTube video of jamming over a tune or something, you know, or like here's right here's the news, whatever guitar that you've never heard of that costs ten thousand dollars, and and they're doing, you know, they, they, that's the only way to hear them. You you can't buy any of their songs, you can't enjoy it unless you're watching a sixty second video. It's kind of a a weird world we've come to yeah and i I think you know it's and like it's weird because what COVID has done is put us all into like the same scenario bulk of those players are in like we're now all in our home studio or our bedroom 
and like the universe is like jokes on you all you guys got to do this now you know <laughs> yeah, but and, like, uh, so you're putting out like songs though you know what i mean like yeah, it's like a different yeah. mentality like you're thinking like well, there's the, a journey in a song like you have right to, you know there's something that happens but those videos really aren't about a journey they're about that can you get somebody to stay on the video for 15 seconds like that's mm -hmm. the game or whatever I yeah what the numbers really are like how many guys watch that full youtube clip to the end or is it just like you can, oh that was you can find those numbers i i remember because i think i even maybe wrote like a blog post about it too because i looked up all these numbers and it was kind of one of those like you know getting like a hundred views on youtube is worth getting like twenty thousand views on facebook <laughs> like mm -hmm. like the equivalent amount of time on average because the way facebook and like instagram they count a view is if somebody just like flicks past your thing and it sort of starts for a second and they flick to the next video that was a view mm -hmm. but like youtube doesn't do that and it's really you really can't do it it's not the same kind of it's kind of harder yeah. you can sort of commit something so that at the average youtube video gets watched like two minutes or something the average facebook video was like 10 seconds and the average instagram video was like two seconds you know wow and uh, wow. so, yeah, when you like, you think, well, I got 10,000 views on Instagram and I only got a hundred on YouTube. It's like, well, you probably did better on the YouTube things. People probably actually watched more of it, but you would think, well, I'm not going to do YouTube anymore. Like that wasn't worth it. Right. <laughs> you know? And you start making your Instagram videos. And so yeah. you, you shift even more away from like a full presentation to these little micro presentations or whatever you know you know what's really interesting is i completely stopped paying attention to any sort of numbers in, in terms of statistics yeah. because it except yielded me shorter. no except for wayne shorter because that was cool but like i uh like i used to worry so much about like oh do i have enough followers to like oh, yeah. really net me net me some sort of positive result but what i realized it's like man like no matter how many views or likes, like nothing really changes that I'm not in control of. Like my, like ultimately everything I've gotten to do has been like completely in my hands and like not really had anything to do with any of that stuff. And yeah. like, whether it's like, I've gotten a few like students from Instagram or whatever that find me on there and hit me up for a few lessons and that's cool. But it's like, in terms of just like entire career, it has like little to no effect. Oh, sure. and, and I think that part of like what we're saying with like the, the lack of, there's like a, an intense amount of virtuosity, but there's a, a lack of artistry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think basically because the platform itself just encourages kind of the, the obsessive compulsive want need to drive numbers up. So, even if somebody is like totally like, yeah, this 30 second video is the shit. Like I'm going to record this and see how many people like it. It doesn't encourage you to have the same amount of like love you have for a piece of art you like labored over for like right. months mm -hmm. or, or like a, a composition. And then also you don't really get a feel like, you know, it's like such a hard thing to even like categorize, but you know, the whole, the whole thing about soul, soulful music, like, what does that mean? Right. But, you know, I, I do think like there's something to be said for like, 
for like good art to happen, like somebody has to experience a bit of life, like oh, yeah. real life things, yeah. you know? So that's, that's for me, it's like, I don't really get a kick out of listening to child prodigies or anything. Like sure. they're fun, they're fun to watch, but they just haven't experienced enough life to have all the dirt and they're playing that they need. You know, it's like they haven't, they haven't had their heart broken. They haven't feared death. They haven't like <laughs> experienced loss. They haven't experienced exuberant joy, like, like having a child or, or, you know, wrecking a car or like any of these like life experiencing life Eat, experiences. Eating a rat that I think. off the road. <laughs> eating a rat off the side of the road or like, you know, falling off of a horse in the Ecuadorian mountains, you know, cause you're drunk. <laughs> that, that never happened to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yeah, the whole like sleeping on the couch and sleeping in your car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I hear Instagram guitar players, I just don't hear any of that. You know, it's just, I really don't. And like, especially it's like prevalent in like that kind of, prog metal which i love prog and i love metal but like there's an inherent sameness to all that music because it's almost like created like out of a lack of emotional connection sometimes for me and it's like hard to connect with which and for me even in that genre i'm like i'm more into like mr bungle or something more so than like super technical metal because like i can connect to the the humor in it the dark humor and like the the texture and and everything yeah i feel like i can chew on it you know i can feel like i can bite into it and like it's gonna taste like a two rallies burgers just smashed together and like coated in like (laughs) hershey's chocolate syrup and like confetti funfetti sprinkled on top hot mustard and (laughs) all sorts of stuff yeah, exactly. I was expecting a rat joke to be in there for some yeah. second. I'm oh, I mean, disappointed. it's a rat rat based sauce that you dip yeah. it in. All right, all right. Had to yeah. marinate for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to bring it back full circle. You know, yeah. with the post apocalyptic rats, we should be on that. <laughs> it reminds me, we did we did put that meme out the other day too, where it's like you can. Uh, Surely you can play something other than Prague and fusion with a headless guitar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like it shouldn't be like yes. the automatic, like that's all that anyone ever plays on those instruments. Well, you should be able to play haunted music because the headless horseman, right? Like you should be able yeah, to play spooky, right. spooky yeah. carnival music for so why sure. Isn't there more death metal with it. <laughs> exactly. I really want a headless guitar really bad. I think they're rad. They oh, are rad. I, I own too. I don't have one. I think it'd I mean, be great to travel from, too. Yeah, well, it's super yeah. light. That's the first thing. Super light. Like weighs less than my six string here, which you know, that's but uh Yeah. And then this thing is like it's as light as my classical. My classical is super like maybe five pounds. And this wow. is like there's nothing to it, which is great. And it's not a hollowed out body, you know, it's a solid uh, swamp ash type of thing. I mean swamp ash is light, but still you know, so losing the headstock clearly lightens it up. But my big thing with it is, you know, I primarily play classical, so I'm always in this position. And yeah. doing this with an electric guitar, like a standard one, you're not, you're not going to do that. But this is yeah. sitting with the footstool. It just like boom, right there. The jack is out of the way. It. I thought that it wasn't going to be clear, you know, in my leg area, and I'm going to have this cable digging in my leg. I was uh, getting upset before I plugged it in and sat it down. I'm like, oh, or not. Never mind. 
you know, and it's just exactly how I sit and practice classically would be with this. And I, I'm not holding it. It's just, it's great. Super That's awesome. Right. You know, it's got the little dad bod uh, tummy cut there and everything else. So it's, yeah, uh, man. It's great. That's, that's sick. Do you have it tuned with two lower strings or do you have one higher string as well? Two lower. Two nice. lower. Yeah, I'm just that's going cool. to... I do it in the standard eight string, uh, F sharp, B, and then standard guitar tuning. So that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I think the higher string is hard. Like, yeah, that, I can't I had, see that. I had a nine string once, and I I could never get it to go any higher. Because well, plus it was thirty inch scale. Oh, <laughs> so, cheap. oh yeah, there's like no chance. Yeah, like, do you have a size He's... three by chance? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the strongest it's, three ever. Yeah, it's gonna be like a horse hair, you know, just to be able I need, to. I need one of Superman's hairs. <laughs> Can you imagine like forty years in the future when the equivalent of like boomers now are like arguing on guitar forms about? Like what gauge strings Toast and the Bossy use? Like like we do with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> like no man, Toastin used eight gauges uh, Diodarios, but he had to like bathe them in like Malaysian goat milk uh, <laughs> before every show. Like uh, <laughs> he he only used batteries that were used by little grandmas in Southeast Dakota uh, from a Magnavox remote, and he put those into the the remote foot switch for his axe effects, and that's how he got that tone. Right. <laughs> Holy crap! That's the most elaborate thing I've ever heard in a long Magnavox. Oh my god. It's like this obscure thing. But it's true. It's the god honest truth. It's true. I think that's a great spot to end. As much as I would love this conversation to keep going. Alright, quick... What, what's what's coming out next? You kind of mentioned little yeah, things. What, yeah. what, where can people find you? All those kind of things. So I got a bunch of music out. It's all on all the normal places like Spotify and Apple Music. But if you really want to be a true believer and a true artist helper person, uh, which means you're a good person, is go to Bandcamp and you can find all the music on there. BrandonColeman.Bandcamp.com uh, or SphericalAgenda.Bandcamp.com uh next things on the docket to release uh sam blakesley uh, project wistful thinking which is me sam uh matt wiles and chris coles uh it's chamber jazz we did an acoustic album and an electric album and those are going to come out on uh on uh outside in music i think it's called it's a label out of new york and that'll be out in the summer i think july i think we're looking so that's at two different albums yeah, so the first one, the acoustic one, will be out in the summer, and then the electric one will be out in the fall. Heck yeah. And and then we've got we just finished mixing the Spherical Agenda full length album. We put out a few singles, but we just finished mixing the whole album, and we're in the process of shopping that to some labels for the moment. But we may end up just going the self release route, uh, just because I don't know. I like having control of things, as we discussed. But um, and I've got several uh, new recordings of my own. Uh, over the coming months that I'm probably going to drop. I've got uh, several new quartet recordings. I've got uh, this fourth kind project. I'm doing a couple duo tracks with Noah Preminger over, oh, over nice. the web that we're working on. Uh, that's going to be fun. Know, Noah is a just unreal sax player. And yeah, he's, he's, he's otherworldly. <laughs> he's amazing. Out of Boston. And then, uh, yeah. I've got a track 
that should be done soon. That's a tribute to John Abercrombie with Matt Wiles. And then I got Lisa Belladonna's playing keys on it. And then uh, Colin Stranahan on drums. He's going to, he's got to record his part. Uh, but that, that one might be a minute. Cause I know they're all, those are all busy people, but that one's in the works. Uh, lots of just like little single things that we putting out over the coming months. Just I've got time, you know, I'm sitting here producing this stuff. And uh, to me, this has been a very productive time for me. And um, for all the negative things that's happened over the last year, uh, it's been a, it's been a good, well, I don't want to say good, but it's, it's been a good opportunity for me to revamp some things to allow me to be even more productive. So grateful for that, for sure. So be on the lookout for lots of good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, fellas. It's been great to talk to you guys. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it was great. Yeah, it's super fun and uh, all the best. And wish you guys the best in health and, and happiness and, and picking. And hope you get a good rat tomorrow. Get a flavorful one. <laughs> as long as the string and the guts uh, uh, come together well with it, I'm, I'm happy. You know? my, what was that my favorite... salt bath thing you were telling me about, Adam, with the steaks or whatever? You got to do that with the rat. Oh, the dry brining. Dry brining. Yep. That Dude, I just did that today. Well, I did that yesterday and I had the steak today. It was amazing. I usually just hang out near the beach and they're already brined from the salt water. <laughs> there you go. That's I like going down to like beach. Yeah, Cincinnati, the Ohio River salt water. <laughs> you know, if you go you go a little further south, you can get like a Chipotle Southwest rat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Oh man, there's just so many flavors, you know. It's like the Italian meatball rat, it's great, you know. Yeah, it's like a oh, yeah. demolition man, right? You ever see that? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's been a minute, but it's a crazy movie. <laughs> Taco Bell won the uh what was it? Taco Bell won the Yeah, they won the uh, franchise war. war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Classic. Well, thanks, dude. Thanks for having me, fellas. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to hanging when everything's back to normal. Yeah, amen to that for sure. I'm getting vaccinated next week, so oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So next time you see me, my arm will be like really big and I'll have really good 5G reception. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll put our hand on your head and we'll be good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>